Our reading this morning will be from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's good to see everyone this morning. We're, we're slowly inching back toward normal, I think. It's good to see those who are here today. And let's continue to pray for those who cannot be with us. Jesus made a warning. He said, begin, uh, John 3, beginning verse 19, He said, And this is the condemnation that light come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. The Apostle Paul also said this, Second Corinthians 4, beginning with 3, he said, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, truth is very important. It's, tr- it's very important in every aspect of life. If we go to the doctor, we want to hear the truth. If we take our cars to the mechanic, we want to hear the truth. If we have someone to come in and check our air conditioning system, we want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear some fable or we don't want to hear some uh, other thing, just because we want to save some money, we do not want that individual to say, hey, everything's okay. Don't worry about it. You're good to go. And then, in the middle of winter, our heating goes out. Or, in my opinion, far worse, in the middle of summer, the air goes out. See, we don't want that. We want to hear the truth. Truth is important, and it is sad to know that the people of the world hate that which was given to them so their souls might be saved. It's sad, but I don't think it is surprising to any of us because the Word of God has been ignored from almost the very beginning of time. But to me, even sadder is truth is ignored because people just don't want to hear it. Have you ever been talking to someone and they begin to talk about something and you say, I just don't want to hear it. Now that's very... Uh, appropriate in some situations, isn't it? Not when it comes to the, the truth of God. Notice what Ahab told Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles eighteen seven. He said, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. The same is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now this is the same King Ahab who was a sorry, no good, godless king. 
And he hated the prophet Micaiah because he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear the bad news. He wanted someone to tell him what he wanted to hear, right? Uh, He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear the word of God. Jeremiah lived during a time when the people of God ignored truth because it interfered with the lifestyles they wanted to lead. Jeremiah said the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so. Jeremiah 5.31 You remember Balak, the king of Moab? He hated the word of God spoken by Balaam because it was not what he wanted. He wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam, uh, as, as godless as Balaam was, he said, I cannot do more than what God has told me to do. But of course, then he, he wormed around there and he told, uh, told Balak what he could do to cause Israel to offend God and God would punish them. Paul asked those in Galatia, Galatians 4.16, he said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell the truth? I tell you the truth and now you hate me. I'm your enemy. That just doesn't make sense, does it? I think it is clear that the Word of God makes people uncomfortable. But it's designed to do that. Have you ever heard the saying that the, uh, that the, the Word of God comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable? Well, that's what it's supposed to do. You're comfortable in the lifestyle in which you live. Well, maybe you need to be afflicted with the Word of God. You're afflicted because you're a faithful Christian and things are going that in your life that uh, in some way hinders you and you need to be comforted because of that. Well, where do we go? We go to the Scripture. Because we know when it's all said and done, the faithful are going to be comforted for eternity. This morning, I want us to spend a few moments reminding ourselves about the truth of God. Truth is important. Truth is important. The title of the sermon is The Truth About Truth. And I want us to begin with first, the truth about the truth is it displays. It presents, doesn't it? It displays. And what it can display at times is arrogance. I think we see that in several of the uh, illustrations we've already used. There have been a multitude of people throughout history who have defied God and they've done it in such an arrogant way that they are just become despicable because of their actions. Voltaire, the noted French poet, if you're into French poetry, which I don't, probably most of us aren't that much into French poetry, but he bragged more than 100 years ago, he said in a century, the Bible will be gone and I'll go down in history as the man who destroyed it. Voltaire died, he was buried, and he has, for the most part, been forgotten to history except those in literary circles. How many of you would have thought about Voltaire this morning? None none of us, probably none of us, Uh, but he's gone. And the Bible is being printed more today than it ever has in the history of the world. See, truth is important. But the truth's not going to be destroyed. Voltaire can't destroy it or no one else. You remember when Herod tried to placate the ruling Jews by having James killed? He also threw Peter and John into prison because they preached in the name of, of Jesus. Do you know what happened to him in the end? Acts twelve twenty three, And immediately the Lord smote him because he gave not glory, gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. 
See, he was taking uh, credit for a whole lot of things, and he didn't give honor and glory to God. He tried to destroy the truth, and God smote him, and he died and was eaten with worms from the inside out. Was he successful in trying to destroy the Word of God? He was just like Voltaire. He was... Uh, he wasted his time trying to destroy the Word of God. Let's go to verse 24 of that same chapter. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. Voltaire said, In a century the Bible will be destroyed. We won't be talking about it except in the realm that I'll go down in history as the one who destroyed it. Well, we're talking about the Bible today. We mentioned Voltaire only because I brought his name up. And Herod went the same way. He went down. Jezebel, Jezebel opposed the truth, didn't she? She opposed the truth spoken by Elijah and Micaiah, both the prophets of God, and she was destroyed. Notice her carcass was eaten by dogs, and the truth continued to be preached, 2 Kings 9, 34-37. As powerful as Jezebel and Ahab thought they were, they were destroyed, they died, the truth of God continues on today. The truth about the truth is it displays the arrogance of those who oppose it and it also displays sin accurately. See, that's what we have to understand. God, in His great love for us, wants us to understand exactly what sin will do to us. He wants us to understand why we ought to avoid it and what the consequences are when we don't avoid it. See, it displays sin accurately. We go to the doctor. He says, oh, nothing's wrong with you. You're good. Go on and enjoy the rest of your life. And then two months later you die because no one told you about the cancer you had. Or no one told you that your, your arteries going to your heart were 99% blocked and that they could have gone in and done something to help that. But the doctor says, well, he wouldn't have wanted to heard that anyway. See, we want to hear accurately What's wrong with our health so we can address it? See, that's what God does for us for our spiritual health. He accurately describes sin. We read, we read earlier how some people love darkness over light and that they did not want the light to shine upon them because it shows people for what they are. Yet that's the very purpose of the gospel, isn't it? To accurately display for each of us what we need. We need to know that. We need to hear that. Many want to hear the gospel being preached, but they don't want to have to arrange their lives around that preached gospel. There are going to be people throughout the world on every first day of the week who want to go hear a message from the Bible, but they don't want to change anything and allow their lives to reflect that message. James said this, he warned, James 1, beginning verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What a great example. What a great illustration. The Bible is described and illustrated as a mirror. We look in a mirror, we see that reflection, and we see everything 
there is to know about our physical appearance, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? You see the good qualities, you see the bad qualities, and sometimes you see those qualities that are ugly. I told someone the other day, it was, uh, I had, a, had an appointment with a dermatologist, and I sat in there and I said, you know, if you have beautiful eyes and you're ugly everywhere else, this is your time to shine. All you got to do is put on a mask, and man alive, I, I, I went to see someone the other day, and I was talking to this individual, and he had a mask on, and I had already determined in my mind exactly what he looked like until he took that mask off, and it was just like it, it shocked me. I said, man, here I spent all this time talking to this, what I thought this person was, and now he takes this mask off, and it's a whole other person. You know, a mirror's not like that. A mirror isn't a mask. A mirror, uh, it amplifies, doesn't it? It amplifies what we are. Now, we may see someone in the mirror who needs to do some changing to their physical appearance. We might need to lose 25 pounds, okay? We might need to uh, do a little better with our hygiene. We might need to comb our hair if you got it. Or you might need to do this, or you might need to do that. I check, uh, uh, I had to eat a little uh, food this morning so I could take some medicine, and so I have to look in the mirror to make sure I'm not wearing that food before I come on in, because sometimes I do that. And so a mirror amplifies what we are. And so we need to use that mirror appropriately, and the spiritual mirror is the same way. We need to look in the mirror and we need to see how we are spiritually. What's my spiritual health? The mirror tells me. Well, what's the mirror? The Word of God. I can know what I need to be. I can know what I need to do. And you know, some people, if they be honest with themselves, they can look in the spiritual mirror of the Word of God and they might just see a blackened, shriveled soul that needs something done to it. But just like the, uh, the physical mirror, you look in the mirror and you say, I need to lose 25 pounds. You know how you go about making a change? Listen, nothing changes until something changes, right? Same thing with our spiritual health. We can look at ourselves and say, you know, this is what the Word of God says. I may not like it. I may not want to hear it. But this is just simply the plain old truth about it. And now it's up to me to do something about it. You know, the spiritual mirror depicts the good, the bad, the ugly. And we need to pay attention to it. The truth about the truth is it displays what we are. And it demands certain things. That's our second point. It displays and now it demands. Because people have allowed themselves to become reprobate, the truth demands change. Okay? If you're a reprobate, you rebel, whatever aspect of life we're talking about, right? If you grow up and you rebelled against your mom and dad, you know that needs to change, right? They expect change. Uh, you know, you don't grow up in my house, whether it was the house I grew up in or the house I now have. Re- rebellion is not tolerated. My father didn't tolerate it out of me because I tried him on it. And I just never had to worry about it at my house. Nicole and I were fortunate. We just didn't have to worry about it. My dad had to worry a little bit about it. But he had all the answers. And so he took care of that in a hurry. 
Isaiah described God's people saying this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 53, verse 6. That's called being a rebel. That's reprobate. That's not doing what you need to do, right? And all down through history, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Paul said, Romans 3, 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. A few verses later, he said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A person on his own cannot be righteous. Now, that's what Paul was talking about. There are none righteous. There are none righteous who try to be righteous on their own. That's what he's talking about. We can all be righteous in the sight of God if we do what God asks us to do. That's what Romans is all about. And so he wasn't saying that that we're just we're not righteous and we're born sinful and we can't overcome it. He said on our own we cannot be righteous. And that's why God in His great wisdom made plans for humanity's dissension into sin. He knew it was going to happen. He loved His creation. He loves His creation. And He gave us the means by which to come back into fellowship with Him. Speaking about the church, Paul called it the eternal purpose of God which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, Ephesians 3.11. And that's how God made a, a, a plan for us to be able to be saved, through the church, right? The truth about the truth is it demands the reprobate to change. But here's the thing. How does change happen? How does change happen? We're talking about spiritual change, right? Nothing changes unless something changes. Repentance. The reprobate must repent. He must place himself or herself in a position for God to forgive those sins. All down through history. And we can look at the history of not just God's people, all people. How many bad decisions are made? More than good ones, I'll tell you that. More than good ones. People always seem to make the bad decisions. Make the wrong choice when it comes to what God would have us to do. We've all lived in sin at one point. We all have served Satan at one point. And it may not have been an act, outward actual serving, trying to further Satan's cause. And God understands that. But when we do not serve God, we by default serve Satan. And so we don't want that to happen. But that's been the history of the world. Jesus said in very, uh, in very plain words, Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now what's he talking about? We use that verse a lot, but we need to understand the context. People come to him and said, you know, this wall fell down on a bunch of folks and it killed them. Was it because they were, were sinners? He said, nay, no. Hey, bad things happen to good people. Unless ye all of you repent, ye shall likewise perish. They were killed physically. You'll perish spiritually. Repentance is necessary, right? When Jesus spoke those words, He didn't just intend for those who were there physically and who heard it in the moment, and then that's as far as it went. He intended for everyone down through history to understand that. And to show that universal command, we go over to Acts chapter uh, 17. Paul goes into, uh, he goes into Greece. And he says, boy, look at all of these uh, 
idols that you all worship. You have altars built to everything. You even have one to the unknown God, just in case you missed one. He said this, verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. See, the problem is very few people like change, right? Very few people like change, and they want to continue in the same way they've always gone. Listen, I don't like change any more than anyone else. But sometimes we need change. Sometimes you need to change something for the better. The truth about the truth is it displays who a person really is and it demands change. Now here's our third and our last point. The truth about the truth is it declares. It makes a statement. It tells us what we need to know. The truth declares salvation to the faithful. Isn't that good news? There's nothing hard about it. Nothing hard about it. I just had to take an exam the other day, uh, and it was uh, an accounting exam. Why I need accounting, you tell me. But I had to take it. And so I took it. I had to spend some time uh, studying for it, and I passed it. See, the gospel is not like that. The gospel is very simple. You need to study the gospel to come to a proper understanding But it's very simple, and it declares to us salvation goes to the faithful, period. You know, we go. it's an open book test. It's an open book test. We got all the answers, right? As we read through the pages of the Bible, here's something that we don't read. It's very important. We do not read about God requesting our opinion on anything. That takes a lot of problems out of the way right there. We do not have to worry about our opinions. I don't have to worry about my opinion. Now, we're talking about doctrinal matters when it comes to salvation, right? He has not asked for any suggestions from us on how we ought to be saved. Brethren, that's good news. Now nothing's left up to choice uh, as far as what the plan is. He simply tells us what we got to do. Again, it's like an open book test. To Jesus, it's a simple matter of, op- uh, of obedience. Not opinion. We don't have to worry about that. Even during the Old Testament, God did not give uh, the Jews ten suggestions. He gave them ten commandments along with hundreds of the other laws that He instituted on Mount Sinai. But the problem is, and this kind of goes back to change, the problem is we don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. You don't like to be told what to do. But sometimes we need to be told what to do. Because we can't make the proper decision. Now here's what today's psychologists tell us. We need to suggest something and then lead the people in such a way that they come up with the answer and all along they think they came up with it. That way we do not impede upon their uh, view of self. They think that they're a little more important than probably what they are. Now, that's not what we need in the world. We don't need that. We don't need it in the world, period. We certainly do not need it in spiritual matters. You see, here's the thing. That tells someone nothing was demanded. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. I'll let you come up with an answer on your own, whether you did or not. That's not a good idea. The problem with that is this. 2 Peter 1.21 states it clearly. 
The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It only matters what God said. God's not leading me thinking that, uh, allowing me to think that I came up with the answer. God's prophets, Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets, they spoke according to what God revealed to them. Salvation is declared to the faithful. God doesn't listen to psychologists. Here's the truth. The Bible is a very demanding book. It is a very demanding book. Not hard, but demanding. And it declares what God requires for one to be saved. Notice this. Very simple. Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins... For if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. That's what Jesus said. We just talked about Luke 13, verse 3. Unless ye likewise repent, ye shall, or unless ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He demanded that confession before others. Matthew, uh, or excuse me, Luke 12, verse 8. Now, in that context, he's talking about living the confession. But there's definitely an application to what the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts 8.37. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We make that statement before other people. Not to inform God. He knows what our hearts are, right? Hebrews 4 verse 12. It's to encourage those around us and for them to understand what our beliefs are. He demands baptism. Mark 16.16 He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. See, that's a coordinating conjunction. Those of you who are up on your grammar, I happen not to be one of them, but I do understand what a coordinating conjunction is. The words on either side of that hold equal value. Belief and baptism. You take one away, you got to take the other away. Right? That's, a, that's the whole point of a coordinating conjunction. Christ demanded that. Christ stated that. Not one of those statements is a suggestion, brethren. They're all demands. The truth about the truth is it makes declaration concerning our salvation, and it makes declaration concerning the sentence that everyone will receive in the end, whether unto salvation or damnation. It's all in there. That's the truth about the truth. God doesn't sneak up on us. Christ was very plain when He made that statement found in John 12, 48 through 50. He will tell those on the left, Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. He will tell those on the right, come into the glory of God. Come on into heaven. You've been found faithful. That's the truth about the truth. No one likes the idea of being judged, but that's exactly what's going to happen on the last day. We're going to stand before God. All is going to be laid bare, and He's going to tell those who have gone on why they are in the position they're in. Those of us who are alive when He comes, He's going to tell us where we're going based on what we've done in this life. That's all about the judgment, right? It is certain. The judgment is one of the most talked about events in the whole of the Bible. Why did Paul say God commanded all men everywhere to repent? We just talked about that, Acts 17.30. Why did he make that statement? The very next verse, verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, 
in that he hath raised him from the dead. We are assured of judgment because he raised Jesus from the dead. If Jesus hadn't have come out of the grave, there'd be nothing to worry about. Right? But there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot to look forward to because Jesus came out of the grave. That's why Paul Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 12, beginning with 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for that is the whole of man. That's our essence. That's our whole purpose, to fear God and keep His commandments. For this, uh, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, when we think of secret things, I think we tend to think more of the secret sins of life. See, they're not going to be secret anymore. But there's another side to that. Do you know how many people in the world have done good for others and no one knows about it? We'll find out about that too. We'll find out about that too. Jesus pictured the judgment scene. Uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 33, the Son of Man coming, and He depicts it as sheep and goats. The sheep go to heaven, the goats go to damnation. It's something that, that easy that people can understand. At that time, it was agricultural society, right? Uh, people were very familiar with, with farming. I grew up on a farm. But when we, when we go to the judgment, there's only two possible results, right? There's only two possible sentences that uh, we can hear. Again, those on the left, going to damnation. You're cursed. Those on the right, going into eternal bliss. Inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. Isn't that comforting? To know that from the foundation of the earth, God had prepared a place for the faithful. That's declared. That's declared in the truth. If the Lord were to return right now, we don't know if He will or not at this moment. He could come any time because we're told to be ready. Paul said this, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Let's not allow this time to pass if we're not in the position where we ought to be. If we've never obeyed the gospel, we need to look at those statements that we talked about earlier. Belief, repentance, confession, immersion in water, baptism. So our sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. So we can be added to the Lord's church, Acts two forty two and verse forty seven, and then faithful living. Sometimes the faithful get off track. We make mistakes, and we need to repent of those things. We need to confess those sins before God. Own that sin. That's what the whole confession is about. We can't blame it on someone else. We have to say, "I did this." This is what I did. Please forgive me of that. We have to do that with each other if we sin against one another. Sometimes we can do that privately. Sometimes we have to do that publicly, depending on the nature of the sin. Either way, that's the truth about the truth. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, please do that as we stand and as we sing.